You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here at Conservative Review and also now broadcasting on Westwood One's platform. We are so thankful for their partnership. So welcome to everyone in the audience, all of our new listeners. It's late Wednesday here, the 20th of December, probably our last time before Christmas, although you never know what what could break. But it actually seems like there's a lot of good news to report on, as well as our customary bad news. And to all our new listeners, uh, you know, some of my allies and enemies refer to me as the prophet of lamentation. So today is kind of a little bit of uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah mixed in with the lamentations in Jeremiah. So it's a, it's a good day anytime we have some good news. But the problem is, the American people have already turned out the, Republic, the Republican Party. They've tuned them out because everything they do is so off-message. Everything they say is off-message. It's kind of like the Cleveland Browns winning the last two or one of the last two games of the season after losing 14 games, after pretty much losing every game last season. I think they only won one game. They pretty much lost every game since they reincorporated as a franchise in the late 90s. Kind of like the GOP being an utter failure since Reagan, with one or two exceptions here or there. So the problem is we can't even enjoy the fruits of the benefits we get because it's just countermanded. And we're seeing this with the tax bill. But nonetheless, let's first just celebrate the good news. The, the two good pieces of news I have for you today, number one, obviously the tax bill. Look, is it simpler? No. Is it flatter? No. Is it fairer? No. Um, will it increase the deficit that's going to increase anyway because nobody wants to cut spending? Of course. Is it the most pro-growth tax cut you could have? No. But will it ultimately cut taxes in a meaningful way for corporations, which are not buildings, bricks and mortar, their jobs, wages, and goods and services for everyone. In fact, I'd venture to say, you know, your average person below a certain income level benefits more from a corporate tax cut than individual tax cut. Because in this country, most individuals don't pay an enormous amount in income taxes on a federal level. It's just a fact. But you know, you have S corps, the pass through, they get their a tax cut as well as individuals, and. You know, I don't say this too often, but after bungling this and putting out a bad bill initially and having horrible messaging and still really underselling their their messaging because the modern-day Republican Party is like the Cleveland Browns where they just can't get anything right. Even when they get something right, they can't get it right. This is a tax cut for everyone, as much as you can do with reforming the code. I mean, absent of just cutting marginal rates and doing nothing else not changing anything. But obviously, you know, anytime you flatten out deductions, which everyone says they want to do, you'll have anomalies that work off of the current system, 
but everyone hates the current system. So I got to give them credit. Okay, this was a good bill. You're going to see this in your withholdings, almost all of you next year, which is just a, a month away, paychecks will go down. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you didn't want to hear that. Your tax liability will go down. Your paychecks will actually go up. And they're going to go up because, A, the individual tax rates are going down, and also because this will grow the economy. You know, just the news out as we're talking today, it's pretty pretty amazing. AT&T announced they're giving $1,000 bonuses to 200,000 employees after the tax bill. It's simple math. It's bottom line. And this is why I have an article coming out today, why it's indefensible for the left to oppose this. It's indefensible for them to oppose a corporate tax cut because corporations are everyone. And we have the highest tax rate in the of all the OCED nations, all of the developed countries. Even Obama admitted that. And then on the individual side, this is really a very progressive tax cut. Now, again, from a conservative perspective, is this a flat tax? No, a flat tax would necessarily, you know, raise taxes on a lot of people at the bottom, which ideally I believe in if it's a low flat rate that is enough to purvey the constitutional functions of government. Everyone should have some sort of effective tax rate, maybe 3-5% for some, and then it would be an enormous cut for everyone above that. That is not the case here. This cuts taxes literally for everyone, including those who don't pay taxes. And as you know, I vehemently opposed Marco Rubio's scheme of giving an expanded refundable tax credit. So under current law, you get a $1,000 child tax credit, and it's refundable. Let's say you have a zero tax liability, you get $1,000. Or you know, if you have 500 tax liability, you get $500 just cash as if it's a welfare program. This bill it doubles the child tax credit to $2,000, um, but up to $1,500 is refundable. So I vehemently disagree with it. It makes it more progressive. It's going to create more dependency in the code. But nonetheless, this is really what we've been doing since Reagan and Bush, that we keep cutting taxes even for people that probably shouldn't get a cut, meaning they're already not paying much or paying little, but politically they feel the need to do it. But again, we didn't get an increase, and all of those who pay taxes will get a tax cut. So, you know, I care about the deficit, but they don't care about it anyway. They're going to do an $81 billion supplemental disaster bill in addition to the $55 billion they just spent. I mean, the deficit's going to go through the roof anyway. So we may as well get back our own money and have economic growth like you're seeing from AT&T. To, to be clear, I am not one of those who believes that ideally we should just cut taxes and, and don't worry about anything else like you know people like Larry Kudlow. I don't believe in that. If, if it were up to us, as we noted in our key vote alert, scoring this bill, and yes, we did score it at Conservative Review here, like I noted that, look, if we were in charge, we would have cut spending. But that wasn't an option on the menu. It's spending into oblivion and letting us have some of our money or spending into oblivion and not letting us have our money. So you know what? I'll take the money. I didn't think they'd get this done. They did, and like I said, and, and you know just a couple of weeks ago, I, I said this was hor- horrible, the House bill. And just to give you a sense, some of you who you know 
are just a little bit confused about my optimism about it, whereas before I was pretty down on it. Just look at the macro numbers. This started out as approximately a 1.2 billion corporate tax cut over 10 years, and the individual cut was essentially revenue neutral. So they raised taxes and lower taxes. Raised taxes by $3 trillion, lowered taxes by $3 trillion. And it just picked random winners and losers, and even the people who got a cut wasn't significant, and the political liability made no sense. Between the budget gimmicks they use, this is really a much bigger cut. It's really more like a, a $1.1 trillion individual cut. And on budget, about $450 billion or $400 billion corporate tax cut, but it's really a lot more just because they start the corporate tax cut a year later. So, you know, it's going to go on forever. Um, it's just in this budget window. So it's really worth a lot more than that. And, you know, again, I mean, corporate taxes could have been cut even more, but, you know, they're not cutting spending. And this is um, this is the best I can do. We will never get anything better than this. I'll eat my hat if we do. And, you know, so that that's one thing. So I don't like the fact that it's not a true reform. It's a tax cut. It's not a tax reform. And we had earlier this week our buddy Tom Ryan on to discuss the neutral tax, the idea of a real systemic reform to shift taxation back to the states and have the feds just come at the back end, flat tax of their revenue. But, you know, that that's certainly not happening now. We need, we need to keep making the case for the long term. And this is really my goal here. For, for, for our new listeners, we are all about looking systemically at political and policy ideas to fix things in the long term and to understand that in the long run, the Republican Party is like the Cleveland Browns. And you ain't going to the Super Bowl. You ain't going to the playoffs. It's not going to matter. But nonetheless, we're going to fight every game we have. We're also going to focus on the short run. And if we get a tax cut, we'll take it. I, I just don't see a way of telling conservatives that because it has the refundables thrown in there, which I vehemently tried to fight against, it, it, it's not worth the tax cut for everyone else who does t- pay taxes. So, you know, that's why you're seeing all the conservatives voted for it and, you know, both in the Senate and the House. It's going to the president for a signature. And and look, you know, this is this is a good day. I, do I think we're going to have enormous growth given that health care is a dumpster fire? Would I have rather us fix health care? Sure. I'd, I'd take that any day over a tax cut. I said a million times I don't believe taxes is the linchpin to our economy anymore. But certainly doesn't hurt like you're seeing from this news at AT&T. You, you give corporations a you know, better bottom line. Well, yeah, you're going to see it in, in higher wages and you're going to see it in uh, cheaper goods and services in most industries for consumers. So this is a good thing. Now, obviously, for those of you stuck with $2,000 a month um, premiums, so is a two to $3,000 tax cut a year going to be meaningful? Sure. Is it going to erase the Obamacare increase? No. You know, that obviously you're paying most of you if you're still on there and you didn't go to some sort of a ministry, sharing ministry, which which I did, I'm paying four fifty a month for that. You guys should check it out. I use Liberty. Um, there's a couple others. But you know, as far as as premiums up to two thousand dollars a month, I mean, you're talking about paying an extra fifteen hundred a month 
just because of Obamacare. You know, multiplied by, by a year, that's easily, easily, easily for most people, you're paying between twelve and 20000 extra a year in healthcare premiums just because of Obamacare. So obviously, it's not going to raise that. But here's the other good piece of news. This bill does zero out the individual mandate penalty. Now, to be clear, again, for our new listeners, check back in our archives. Look particularly in our shows throughout May, June, July, August. We really were very heavy in our discussions on healthcare. The The main drivers of the premium increases are the market distorting regulations and subsidies and the horrible Medicaid expansion, which is not just a welfare entitlement program bankrupting us, but completely distorting the delivery of health care. There's a lot of problems on it. And we're going to have a lot more shows on health care in the coming weeks. But the good news is at least the mandates are appealed. So at least they don't have us around the neck. The insurance cartel, to the degree they want to go up, see, until now, there's no check or balance on them. They have the subsidies. They have the regs to box out, box out competition, but the regs don't hurt them because they have the subsidies. Then they have all the money from Medicare and Medicaid. 60% of the top five, you know, Cigna, Aetna, United Health, um, Anthem, their revenue, 60% comes from government programs, Medicare and Medicaid and uh, other programs. So they have their monopoly. They have all the healthcare money. The consumer is not the consumer, so they have us around the neck. Oh, and by the way, you have to purchase our product. Now you don't have to purchase it. So if they say, okay, that'll be 20000 a year, 30000 a year for a simple plan, screw you. I'm not paying that. I'd rather go without nothing. I'll go to or, or a health sharing ministry, which is certainly a lot better th- than nothing. I'll go to direct primary care physician, concierge. And that's what this is going to open up. And, uh, and again, I'm going to have some guests on in the coming weeks to discuss some innovative ideas. I just texted a a prominent conservative in Congress a couple hours ago and said, hey, let's work together in the next couple of weeks trying to craft a counter-narrative rather than pushing a bell out of the insurance companies. How about an end run around the government insurance cartel? Not just insurance, but holistic healthcare reforms to make it function like a normal market with price transparency. So we're going to have a lot in the coming year on health care. But I think, look, does this fulfill the promise of repealing Obamacare? Absolutely not. But it opens a window to us doing other things to collapse the system from within. And when I say collapse the system, I don't just mean sabotage Obamacare. I mean even the pre-Obamacare monopoly we gave to the insurance cartel. So that's good news. I mean repeal the individual mandate and a tax cut. I mean my gosh – after losing 14 games, I'll take the two-game win. And, and again, this is the first game. The second game we won here is the fact that, and I know this sounds cheap, but you know, obviously, typically, when you control the House, the Senate, the White House, you would expect to go on offense to throw touchdowns, continuing with our football analogy to score points. You know, We should use the, use the annual budget bill to defund Planned Parenthood, to defund the visa lottery, to defund sanctuary cities, to fund the border wall and more ICE agents. That's not happening. Sadly, that was never on the menu. But we were scared – that like the first two times, we'd actually have the insurance bailout and amnesty and the $81 billion, um, supplemental emergency spending bill. 
The first two I could tell you are out. They will not be in the bill. Now, believe me, they're going to fight vehemently as a standalone come January. There's no rest for the weary here, um, but at least you get to enjoy your Christmas break. There will be no amnesty for illegals, and there will be no insurance bailout. So we have another day. We could live another day to fight, at least in January. But what this tells me is that at least people like Meadows and Jordan are holding the line, that at least there is a purpose to the Freedom Caucus, because I could tell you if they wouldn't be holding the line, all that stuff would have been in the bill. So the fact that they didn't throw an interception with control of all three branches, sadly, it's a victory, but a victory nonetheless. And better news than we've had in a while. I did honestly, I did not expect that coming back from Thanksgiving, headed into the final stretch of of this uh, political season, so to speak. I thought we'd go over 16 in this political season. But, you know, this is good news definitely to celebrate. So that's the thing. They didn't normally they call it shoveling the barn, clearing the decks, clearing the barn, meaning they shovel all the manure onto us, onto conservatives, um, basically putting all the bad provisions in, in these bills. But anyway, the problem is ultimately it doesn't matter politically because this bill, the tax bill is already so unpopular because the Republican Party is like the Cleveland Browns. We just can't have nice things. Just like if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns, if there's any any of them left, you can't have nice things. So if you're a Republican voter, which I am no longer one, but if you are, we cannot have nice things. It's funny, our copy editor here, Cindy, she she you know she knows all my writing mannerisms, speaking mannerisms, because she's our copy editor, and she she always hones in on times when I obsess about a narrative and I just keep getting onto it. So I keep repeating the mantra of this is why we can't have nice things. And she said, Daniel, this is it. I'm only allowing you to use it once a month now. (laughs) But uh, that's the thing. We can't have nice things because most Americans think they're getting a freaking tax increase. Now, a lot of that's because of the dishonesty of the media, but it didn't help that Republicans started out with a bill that kind of did that. So that's the problem in the long run. They're incapable of messaging even when they do good things. There's also a problem, like I said, with personnel. You know, if I have to say the story of 2017 politically for conservatives is this, that Trump, I think, despite not coming from a conservative background, has genuinely exhibited the desire and even has taken the first steps on a number of issues to try to change the game, not just from Obama, but even from you know typical Republican dogma, failed Republican dogma. But the problem is due to his lack of attention to detail, lack of knowledge on policy, a number of problematic staff around him, and the horrible Republican Party in Congress, we really haven't been able to benefit much from his supposed changes on policy. And you look one after another, you know, each thing kind of, you know, there's cold water tossed on it. So I wanted to introduce you to two more problems. You know, now, now we have the good news. Well, here's two pieces of bad news I want you guys to know about before we close out um, you know, this, this season before Christmas. Oh, and by the way, before I get to that, I just wanted to let you guys know I'm getting a message right now. They have finally restored our author pages. So you could go to Conservative Review and actually scroll in chronological order 
the archives of all our articles. If you like, you know, for myself, from Chris Pandelfo, uh, who, whoever else is at Conservative Review, this has been really tough the last couple months because I couldn't find my own archives. It was missing. And I had to dig up my email distribution list to, just for research purposes. I know a lot of you have been asking me about that. So that is back up and, you know, it sh- should be functioning. Let me know if you see any issues with the website. But, uh, yeah, we're really chugging along here and, and, and proud of that. But, you know, the problem with the Republican Party is they don't learn from their mistakes like we did with our website. <laughs> um, they keep – you know, this administration keeps hiring people that don't advance the president's stated agenda. And, you know, one of the things is obviously Trump is not – was never known as much of a religious person or a social conservative, but, you know – You don't have to. You just have to respect the Constitution, property rights, conscience rights, religious liberty. Um, And you don't need to be any. You don't need to be a conservative. You shouldn't have to be in order to believe in those things. Yet, this president, who made it very clear that it's absurd to mandate placing, uh, you know, freak freak shows in female private dressing rooms, men in female bathrooms. He's nominated, or I should say renominated, Chai Feldblum, the architect of Obama's transgender agenda, as commissioner of the EEOC, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Now, the EEOC, and I'll have a full argument, full article up on this, but to just cut it short here, the EEOC is one of these rogue commissions. Picture like the CFPB with, for the financial services under Dodd-Frank. It is the judge, jury, and executioner of social policy, discrimination law in the workplace and colleges admissions, you name it. Um, it, Whether it's, you know, affirmative action stuff, whether it's homofascism, bake the darn cake, whether it's, you know, basically they replace equality under the law and the Constitution with protected classes. So... If you're a Christian business owner, you don't have private property rights and conscience rights to run your business in according with your accordance with your conscience. But suddenly, if you're a Muslim employee and you want to seek employment at another person's business and you want them to have some insane accommodation for your religion, suddenly, oh, religious liberty rights. This is a true case with Star Trucking in Illinois when a Muslim truck driver didn't want to deliver beer. Like, what the heck? I mean – Nothing against your religion, but you can't do that. You don't have a right to employment at someone else's business. You have the right to have your own business and not be forced by someone else to violate it. But they flip it on its head because it's all about the right constituencies. So she is a radical, radical sexual identity activist. Um, and and it's just, again, the architect, she said blatantly that when the homosexual agenda and, and really just any other transgender stuff – comes into conflict with private property rights and conscience, religious liberty, uh, the former should always win over the latter. So he renominated her. Now, I doubt he even knows about this or understands this. But again, the EOC is a quasi-adjudicative body, quasi-legislative body. Now, you might be asking, well, what do you mean? Isn't it part of the executive branch? Well, that's the point. All these independent commissions are unconstitutional as a fourth branch of government. So, um, but anyway, they have five commissioners that run it, and there's a couple vacancies, and they're saying that, well, the White House counsel staff, they 
they had this as part of a deal that we're going to renominate her, but then we're going to push through two other GOP nominees for the vacancies. But we get that for free. The vacancies are there. You have a GOP Senate. Why should you have to agree to anything? So guess what the story is? And this is where staff comes in. This is where it's really, really frustrating. Really frustrating. One of, so the two names that are being floated, or not being floated, that were nominated, is this guy named Gabe and a woman named Janet Dillon. Janet Dillon is the wife of Udom Dillon, who is a top lawyer in the White House's counsel's office. That's all I'll tell you. That's what I'm hearing from friends. And, um, you know, I don't know exactly who made the call, but they so badly want to get their own, you know, person. So this guy's wife in there. Oh, let's expedite it and just, you know, tell Democrats we'll give you Feldblum. Let me tell you something. She is worth more than any of these people. Nothing personal to this Dylan woman, but I doubt she is a conservative culture warrior to the degree that Feldblum is a left-wing social warrior. So it's not an equal trade, but these are the type of things you don't hear about, but they're very important. Keep in mind, you know, with the Supreme Court and Anthony Kennedy becoming the final arbiter on whether we have conscience, property, and religious liberty rights. Like I told you before, either way, it's going to be a very narrow victory even if we win and we could lose, and we'd still lose 90%. We we need an EOC that's going to fight back against that, push back against the courts and the blue states, not you know pour, pour a lighter fluid on the fire like the EOC is currently doing. And right now, the EOC is taking people to court, saying they're discriminating, and they're codifying the transgender agenda into Title VII of the civil rights. This is a very big problem. So again, personnel is a big problem. We're finding this on issue after issue. Trump will say, I'm done with the transgender stuff. Either either it's the courts or the deep state or the shallow state or all of them screwing around with it. And this is what we have to approve upon in the second year of Trump's administration. The other thing I wanted to go over, and again, I'll link to a longer article here. It's not from me, but from my friend Chris Jacobs, brilliant mind on healthcare. The GOP is giving away their one victory they ever had in the courts recently. So if you remember, Obama illegally appropriated. When I say illegally appropriated, you know, Congress appropriates funds. He appropriated funding from the White House to give as bailout money to insurance companies, to bail out the stupid regulations rather than getting rid of the regulations that, all right, we'll, we'll have the actuarially insolvent regulations, and then here we'll bail you out. Well, the House of Representatives, you know, they're represented by some sort of council representing the body of the GOP majority there. They sued and said, hey, you're stepping on our authority. Now, I don't exactly believe in crying to the courts. Congress should have dealt with that on their own, but – that was too much to ask for. Anyway, they actually got a good D.C. district judge. Since then, she's retired. Um, but at the time, she was one of the only conservatives on the bench at, in the D.C. district court. And she said, yeah, I mean, it's unconstitutional. But nonetheless, she allowed them to continue pending the appeal to the circuit level. And rather than coming in and canceling it, canceling the defense of the lawsuit – Trump, the Trump administration asked for more time because they were continuing. Now, ultimately, Trump finally stopped the insurance bailout. But here's the problem. Republicans just agreed to a settlement in that case. 
to say, well, as long as we stop the current ones. Well, Trump already stopped it. The point is moot. What the settlement does is allows Trump or any other president to con- to restart them under a new program, and you cannot cite her opinion as precedent on this. That's part of the agreement in this settlement. It's very complicated. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But my point is, while the courts are ripping us to shreds, just this week, mandating free contraception um, you know, upon employers, a Pennsylvania judge, the radical judge in the D.C. district allowing two unaccompanied child minors, you know, illegal aliens, and one wasn't a minor. It turns out she's 19 years old. She lied and said she was 17, allowing them to come in here, unilaterally assert jurisdiction, and demand an abortion. And this judge said you have to do it. So imagine that. We finally win a case and Republicans walk it back. Oh, because we're scared. We don't want to block the insurance bailout because we really like it. So I'm telling you, this is going to be a dogfight come next year, both with amnesty and with health care. And by the way, to your new list, to our new listeners here, you are not going to want to go anywhere else to hear your news on health care and immigration. Talking beyond the platitudes with a lot of knowledge on these issues. Obviously, I've written hundreds of articles on healthcare, um, lots of ideas, as well as my book on immigration and the court stolen sovereignty to our new listeners. If you haven't gotten it, great Christmas present. Still time to get in there with, uh, at least with Amazon Prime to get it shipped before Christmas. Stolen sovereignty, how to stop unelected judges from transforming America. It is very relevant to almost every issue we discuss. So make sure you get your copy. But just to, to, to look broadly, I mean, this is the thing. Trump is, is on a better, I would say, a, he has better momentum than he had before. The problem is, because of all of his personal, personality flaws, the personnel flaws, the insanity of the media, the insanity of the rest of the, the Republican Party, the Republican Party is just dirt. The generic ballot is now polling as high as D plus 18. The question is, will the withholdings change things? When people start to see bigger paychecks, will that change things? I don't know. And again, I think in the long run, I don't care because we need a new party. This is why we can't trust the Republican Party to represent our messaging. They bungle it. And most of the time, they're championing the other side. But at least for now, we got tax cuts. We avoided a lot of very bad things in December. And, you know, every other day, every new day we have that's not a bad day is a day that we could actually push for good things. No matter how daunting it is, no matter how much the odds are stacked against us, we're going to be back in January to fight. We're going to fight on these issues. And God willing, we're going to win on them. We're going to close out the show just by noting, you know, with Christmas coming, you know, obviously as a Jewish guy, I'm I'm already preparing all my home improvement projects and everything, you know, because what else am I going to do? What else does a Jewish guy do over over Christmas vacation, uh, you know, with Hanukkah ending today? But I wanted to just give over a thought to you and I'll read from an article I wrote for uh, for just end of year holidays between Christmas and Hanukkah, just an observation about religion in America, and this also ties into what we're fighting for with religious liberty and what we said with the EOC and the courts and why this year is going to be such a big year to fight the courts on religious liberty. 
even at the pinnacle of religious observance in this country, which was certainly much greater at the time of our founding than now, nobody was ever coerced to service religion if they personally chose to live a secular life. Yet, paganism, like other theocracies that existed before the American Republic, seems to be incompatible with freedom even as it scandalously invokes its virtues. You know, I could say this as an American Jew. I've never been coerced to service Christianity my entire life. Yet, the pagan agenda is preventing all monotheistic religions from functioning unencumbered by government mandates and, you know, just individuals demanding that you service things that violate your religion. As Tocqueville observed, the character of Anglo-American civilization is the product of two perfectly distinct elements that elsewhere are often at odds. But in America, these two have been successfully blended in a way and marvelously combined. I mean the spirit of religion and the spirit of liberty. Think about that. It's a very profound statement from Tocqueville. America's freedom is not despite its original religious character. It's because of it. Liberal secularists like to think of their ideology as the ultimate guardian of freedom. But as we've learned from history, paganism and hedonism invariably lead to the same tyranny as Islamic theocracies. This is exactly what the Jews were fighting during the time of Hanukkah around 2200 years ago when the Hellenists sought to criminalize their religion. Obviously, religious societies can also be tyrannical, and that is exactly what we are seeing today with political Islam, which ironically, yet not surprisingly, is excused by the secular left. But our founding, America's founding as a Christian country, was very different. It's a very different form of Christianity, Christianity blended in with our system of governance. It wove together a brand of Judeo-Christian ethos that harnessed the principles of the Enlightenment and the freest principles of the English common law to eschew the practices of faith as a tool for theocracy and instead use them as the foundation for public liberty. So rather than using Christianity as a cudgel against people, it was used to instill virtue to promote liberty. Not all faith-based societies are inoculated from despotism, even post-enlightenment. Like Again, like we're seeing with Islam, monotheistic religion, and pretty much every Muslim country is, is not free. But any society built on freedom must be fueled by faith. That's the key. Again, you can have a faith-based society that's tyrannical, but you, can't, but you cannot have liberty built on paganism. And America... Weave, weave together both in, in the proper way. As Tocqueville famously said, despotism can do without faith, but liberty cannot. And indeed, this is why other religious faiths or non-religious people in this country, you're, you could be anything for that matter, including the very descendants of the Jews persecuted by the pagan Greeks, have enjoyed unparalleled freedom in this particular majority Christian country. You know, despite the decline of religious adherence and respect in this country, the overwhelming majority of Americans are spending time celebrating a religious holiday this week. Some are celebrating Hanukkah, overwhelming majority coming week, obviously, are celebrating Christmas. Now, clearly, celebrating holidays doesn't automatically translate into being a more virtuous society, as Benjamin Rush, one of the greatest founders, quipped, 
Oh, tis easier to keep holidays than commandments. However, we can only hope and pray that this season will rekindle that spark and return this country to its foundation of religious piety that gave rise to the freest nation on earth and which is so needed to ensure that we remain a free people. Because that's the bottom line. There is no political solution. Ultimately, we need a virtuous society that returns to God, and the other dominoes will really fall into place. But it's our job here to give that blueprint, that vision, what would those policies look like in a virtuous society. Anyway, thanks for listening. What a great year this has been. Hopefully, we will try to be back once or twice before the new year, but this will be our last show before Christmas time. Merry Christmas to all you. Happy New Year's. Thanks so much. Welcome aboard to our Westwood listeners and looking forward to a great new year. Thank you so much. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.